Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Matt Srama, who's an ex-professional athlete turned property investor and now buyer's agent. And we have a chat to him about his life as a youngster transitioning into becoming a professional athlete, what he learned along the way and how he got started in investing. Uh, The clickbait title of this podcast is probably going to be something along the lines of resilience and how to get rich slow with Matt. So we have a chat to him about his investing fundamentals and his mindset behind how he approaches property investing. And he shares some awesome advice for aspiring property investors, first timers, and people that are still building their portfolio. It's a fantastic interview with some great insights from Matt. And here's Matt Srammer. Matt Srammer, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. No worries, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, mate. Now, for anyone that hasn't come across you before, can you let us know who you are and what you specialise in? Who well, I am? Well, mate, I'm a 29-year-old male from the Gold Coast. I originally grew up in Brisbane. Um, I don't know. I specialise. I've, I've got a few few different angles in my life, and hopefully we can delve deep into that today. But, yeah, I was a professional athlete and basically um, retired, became a real estate agent, moved from there to coaching sport, um, now a buyer's agent and uh, property investor as well. So, yeah, a bit of, bit of everything, but most of all, mate, I'm, I, I like to set my standard as a, as a nice, nice human being. That's my main, main goal. Well, that's absolutely lovely. But I tell you what, you've done some living uh, as a twenty-nine-year-old. You've 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 done uh, some some pretty extraordinary things at a high level, and we'll definitely dive into that. So there's a bit more to you than just being a, a property nerd. Um, yeah. What posters were on the the bedroom wall growing up as a kid? Oh, posters! Uh, good question, mate. I. Um Anyone who knows me knows I'm a bit of a OCD, so I actually never had posters on, <laughs> on my wall. But if I did, I would have. Um, this sounds a bit left field, but I, I was really obsessed with like flags of the world and like geography. So it would have been like flags and um, maybe a, a little map of the world and um, stuff like that. As weird as that sounds, I was just obsessed with um, with flags. <laughs> Wow, that was that was quite unexpected. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, knowing a little bit about your athletic background, I was expecting that was going to feature heavily. But um, no, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's no, interesting. I had a, I had a little. Sorry, I did have a. I wouldn't call it a post. I'd call it a um, like an A four document of all the flags in the world on my uh, wardrobe, but on the inside of the wardrobe, so you couldn't see it. So every time I opened to get my clothes, I'd have a few little looks at different flags of the world. So that was that was really my weird party trick. And still to this day, people always get the phones out and test me with, flag, <laughs> with flags. Wow. And, oh, I must admit that was that was exactly what I was yeah. thinking, was bringing a couple of flashcards when we go for a beer somewhere and go, what about this one? Get some real obscure yeah. stuff. It happens all the time. But, um, no, like, Uzbekistan yeah, or something. Uzbekistan. How would you go with that? You say Kits and Nevis, you know, in the yeah. low-key ones. Yeah, Isle of Man. Are you good? Isle of Man. Like, yeah, I know, I know that one. That's actually that's an easy one. Yeah. Um, the legs stand out. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> what about property? How did you get started in in property, and what was your first investment in property? Well, 
it's a funny one because I never really had any influences among my family. Like uh, my my mum and dad were both sort of immigrants. So my mum's from the Philippines and my dad's from Poland, and they just slogged it away. You know, really good work ethic, but yeah, they were sort of on you know below minimum wage. Mum was a um, hotel cleaner, and my dad was a garbage truck collector back in the day, where you you hang off the back and you pick up the garbage and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, very, very hard workers, no education, anything like that. So obviously property um, wasn't really spoke about or money or anything like that in our household. So for me, I got started in it when I was a professional athlete and um, was earning some money while I was younger that, um, you know, it was probably a bit more than most kids my age. And then um, I just seen a lot of my peers sort of, wasting it and not doing anything with it so um, I don't know I always had this I guess I guess I got it from my parents they're a bit they were always savers good savers you know they work hard they get their little bit of income and then they just sort of save and make sure we had food on the table so I, I guess subconsciously I would have had that in the back of my head but then I don't know I just got into sort of finding out how I can uh, leverage that and yeah just started randomly reading magazines and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I guess that's how it started. It, it sort of just came out of nowhere, to be honest. There's a lot There's a lot of stories we've heard on the podcast of, you know, the, the stereotypical immigrant work ethic, you know, people that aren't born in Australia, they come here and they absolutely turn themselves inside out mm-hmm. and, and manage to, to create success just by sheer graft and that would have served you very well in your athletic career i guess and also now as an, in, an investor what um what was the first investment that you purchased uh the first investment i got was a um it was just a unit in a in a coastal um town in southeast queensland and um yeah after sort of educating myself um for a while i um, sort of understood the, the basics, I guess. I, I was really big on self-education and self-growth, so smashed into, you know, the YouTubes and um, well, podcasts were just sort of starting out, but mainly YouTube and magazine yeah. were my go-to. And, yeah, just used to drown myself in that whenever I finished training and, um, yeah, just got it picked up a nice little unit, you know, all the fundamentals that you hear about. You know, I think it's a block of um, eight it's a corner block and, um, you know, it's got views of the ocean so you can't build east of it, you know, a bit of, there's a heavy demand, rental market, all low body core, all that sort of stuff. So low low set brick type setup, really old. So, um, yeah, and I picked that one up. Funnily enough, it was, it was um, an off market. So I missed out on the property um, next to it and then the old fella, told the old lady next door that this guy missed out on mine. Um, he might want to look at yours. And then me and the owner negotiated on the spot, like just back and forth. Wow. Yeah, was, and for me, that was that was cool. Now that I know more about property, I realised, well, that's what you call an off-market purchase. So, and I, yeah, it was awesome. There was no real estate agent involved. And, yeah, we both got a good result, I, I felt. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my first one. And then obviously... Like I guess you speak to a lot of investors, once you get your first one, you sort of, um, yeah, then you start educating even more and learning more. So I got real deep into the the loophole then. 
Yeah, awesome. That sounds like a, a pretty good first one too with a lot of science behind it, which is I guess different to average. A lot of people just sort of buy the property and end up getting stuck with something that maybe wasn't perfect for their portfolio to, to launch to the next step. But um, let's go backwards a bit. Um, we've, got to start with, we've got to start with football. So when you talk about being a professional athlete, you actually were a first-grade footballer for the goal. Gold Coast Titans, am I right? Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the um, Gold Coast Titans in the, the NRL. So yeah, had um, seven seven strong years there. It was good. Yeah, wow. And was that the sole focus during school? Is that you obviously must have known that you had some talent? I guess you played played football in school, and and that was the goal to play first grade rugby. Yeah, it was. It's a funny one. Like um, like my dad played it. My brother, older brother played. I'm the baby of the family. So they all, um, I guess like anything, there's always a, a, a really big goal in, in playing NRL, which is the National Rugby League. It's like that sort of most elite level you can get to rugby league in the world. And, you know, my, my dad nearly got there. My brother nearly got there. But, um, yeah, it was sort of always in our family. It'd be cool if someone in our family got there. And, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really cool that that I sort of got there and I always did have that goal from a very young age. I guess it was instilled in me from from my brother and my and my dad, um, you know, being footballers themselves. So, um, yeah, it was just in my blood. I was obviously surrounded by it at home and at school, played a lot of club footy as well. My friends played it. So, um, yeah, and then you sort of just mix that, as you said, with um, my mum and dad passed on a lot of good work ethic traits to me looking back. Um, that that's definitely um, helped me get to where I wanted to be in, in the athlete space. Yeah, cool, cool, and yeah, I guess getting the the family into the into the players' corporate box or what have you that must have been an exciting uh, little thing for you guys to share. I must um must admit I'm a little bit naive on the world of of rugby league. I grew up regional New South Wales, but so close to the Victorian border that it was all about the Geelong Cats. Yeah, from yeah. <laughs> my old man was um, into the Balmain Tigers and I sort of jumped on the bandwagon in the glory days of um, who was it? That would have been Benny Elias and Blocker Roach and Siren you know, that was they were a good team as far as I can remember. But how how does one make a first grade football team? Is it a matter of you 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 play for a car a club and then you know there's those you know like the talent scouts you see in those American baseball movies there with their clipboards and going this this Rammer bloke's got some uh, got some hustle about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're pretty, you're pretty much on the spot really. Like it's um yeah it's just like any sort of um, business you know the people that are recruiting they're wanting people to come join them so yeah I guess in the football world it's like you can't sign a kid formally until they're 15 so probably from around sort of 14 like clubs are starting to look at kids now and uh, wow one thing that I learned but is it's such a long journey like I never made any of the major rep representative teams or anything like that coming through and a lot of guys you know play for Australia and schoolboy footy stuff like that, but then when they get to sort of 18, 19, they sort of fall off the cliff sort of thing and, in you know, they're, they're out of the radar now. And so it's, it's a really, really long journey, even though clubs are looking at kids from around 14, 15. If you're, 
if you're a gun at 14, 15, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a gun at 20 or 25. It's such a, it's completely up to the individual. And as cliche as it sounds, it's, it, it is that whole like hard work will always be talent, you know, when talent doesn't work hard. So um, if you're willing to play the long game in turn, and I guess you can relate that to investing. It's like if you look at it at a macro level and, and, and have that big picture um, vision, you know, you, you'll sort of get there. But to answer your question, yeah, that it, it's sort of, yeah, you've got scouts and that looking at you, yeah, they'll keep an eye on you and, um, if they don't want you, they'll cut you. If they want you, you know what I mean? It's pretty cutthroat as yeah. well. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a journey, that's for sure. And I guess at, you know, 14, 15 years old, you, you, you really know nothing about how the world of, of contract negotiations work and all that sort of stuff. How, how, how does that sort of um, formalise in the beginning? How, how do you get signed to a club? How, how does that work? Like what sort of contract are you on? Yeah, so, man, it even starts as young as sort of 12 in terms of, you know, you invite 12, 13-year-olds to, you know, just open days. There's no contracts or anything like that. It's more like, you know, they get a T-shirt and they're within your system type setup. And I can remember being a kid and there wasn't much I wouldn't do for a T-shirt. Yeah, oh, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, that is your contract when you're a kid yeah. in a year. So, um, yeah, but then when you get to sort of 15, 16, oh, mate, they'll, they might, a contract could look like um, they might pay your representative levies. So, you know, to play at a school carnival for Queensland, you know, it might cost 500 bucks, you know what I mean? So the club will yeah. cover that and, and also, you know, medical something like that. So, yeah, it, 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 all, it all varies. Some kids might get, like, um, their school fees paid or, or something like that. So, yeah, it's not it's it's nothing in terms of actual dollars into your, your bank account, so to speak. That, that all sort of comes, like, later on in life when it starts getting a bit more professional environments and stuff like that. Yeah, so fast-forwarding uh, to, say, first grade, um, let's say your, your first year for the, for the Titans, um, typically sort of ha- what sort of salary are your, your junior players being paid? Is it the big bucks like we would be led to believe or is it, you know, you're saying a little bit better than kids your age, but, I mean, you were pretty young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really varies. Like I think the minimum now, uh, I'm not sure what it is, um, it might be like around 80, 80K or something like that, 70, 80K. Yeah. So when I was when I was coming through, I think my first um, contract was around the, the 50 mark or something like that. So you're, just, you're more just playing. And, and like looking at it in real terms, like um, in life terms, you know, and that, that's still okay money, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's nothing. Yeah, you're yeah. doing what you love. But um, um, I guess there's that perception people think, once you play a professional sport, like you're on good good money, which which you can be, there's a, but there's only a very small percentage that are. So most of most of the NRL are actually sort of under the 150k range and under. So yeah. as younger younger kids, it's always sort of yeah around that. I don't know anywhere from sort of 50 to 90 90k. Um, you know, and they're they're sort of grinding. Could be one year contracts only. So there's no real security. You just got to sort of back yourself and stuff like that. So it, it does really vary between 
clubs and players and managers, all that sort of stuff. But, sure, yeah. Yeah. But I'm guessing, you know, you sign the contract and you 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 get the, the Guernsey for the Titans and the mates are saying, Maddie, the drinks are on you and yeah. <laughs> the reality is that maybe some of your apprentice mates, for example, might have been getting paid more than you. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%, 100% and that, that's probably <laughs> um, a big thing people don't, don't realise is, um, yeah, you you can make a lot of money, but yeah, a lot of the ones who are making good money are in that very small percentage. Um, it's so. a, it's a bit similar to real estate as well, right? Like for every guy that's that's pocketing a million dollars a year, there's a lot of people taking home sixty grand. Hundred percent, definitely, definitely. So, um, again, a little bit naive, but outside of game day so you obviously play a game of football on a saturday or what have you what does a week look like for a professional rugby league player yeah i i guess it's um it's pretty structured like um you obviously do say like you had your game on the weekend you know you'd come in on a monday do your recovery you know your ice bath and stretch and all that sort of stuff then you do uh, a really long analysis of the game you know, video session looking at, you know, what you did right, what you did wrong, what what the left edge did wrong, why did we let this try in and like, Matt, why'd you do this? And <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's always everyone's, you ask any athlete, like the video session's always pretty um, pretty full on and, um, yeah, you, you just got to cop criticism when it's due, you know what I mean? So that's all part of the game. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, during the week, you know, you've got your gym session split up maybe in the morning. You know, you do your gym, have lunch, and then um, afternoon you might do some field work. You know, one day it might be attack, one day it might be defence. Um, you know, then we might do a wrestle session in the afternoon um, on the wrestle mats and stuff like that. And um, and then, you know, all in between that you've got to do your commitments to, you know, the community, the school visits, you know, promoting the brand of the club and, um, you know, any other extra things that need to get done for you as an athlete as well. And then, yeah, all around that, you know, your physios and um, making sure your body's right because at the end of the day your body is the one that's, if that's not right, you, you can't earn any money. So um, you need to make sure you're staying on top of all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good grind. And then, you know, leading into game day, if it's an away game, you catch the plane, you stay in the ho- hotel and that and all of that structured out you know all your your meal times and and everything so um it's a it's a it's a good it's a it's a fun process but it's a very roller coaster as well because obviously if you're coming off a win or a loss did you play good did you play bad did you get injured you know there's a lot of ups and downs and um player movement guys playing one week and they're dropped and and stuff like that so it's um yeah i've got a lot of respect for athletes in in any field because it's a it takes an emotional toll regardless what level you're playing at. Yeah, you, you hear a lot of stories like I think the Australian cricket team are a good example where, you know, 30 years ago they'd be out at the brewery at 3 a.m. and then they'd be padding up at 9 a.m. the next morning. I think those days are well and truly gone uh, in all sports at the elite yeah. level now. Um, and, and speaking about sort of looking after your body, that's sort of like a bit of an interesting segue because you were forced to retire young um, due to injury. Can you run us through that if it's not too too fresh of a wound? Oh, no, no. It's, mate, it's, um, I always believe everything happens for a reason, you know what I mean? So 
it was um, yeah, it was un- unfortunate. So during my career, um, you know, I started my career in the juniors, sort of around that 18, 19, and worked my way into NRL at 20. And, yeah, from around 20 to 23, I had a really good run with injuries and, um, you know, was our, our starting um, number nine and, you know, playing each week and, and getting a lot of, lot of men and a match awards and stuff like that. So the career was looking really solid and I just signed a new deal and, and stuff like that. And then sort of the next sort of four years, well, I just kept having recurring sort of major injuries. Um, so all up, I had about nine uh, major surgeries all pretty much back to back. So I'd come back from like an ankle reconstruction and then, you know, I'd do my hip and then I had to get a hip cam lesion where they scrape your hip bone and then, you know, that's a six-month injury. So you come back from that and then play three games and then, shoulder dislocates and I need a shoulder reconstruction and um yeah so it, it was just back to back to back injuries which you know it was pretty un- unfortunate you know what I mean so um I kept kept staying resilient kept working hard and rehab to get back from all my injuries and then um yeah a few injuries down the track that I was sort of advised by doctors you know what I mean like you need to sort of look at this as a bigger picture in terms of life do you know what I mean and, and your longevity um, you know, if you if you want to keep keep your joints all good and stuff like that, so yeah. I looked at it in that sense. And you know, now looking back, it was, a, it was a really good decision I made because now that I'm out of professional sport, I realise you know it is, there is so much more to life. Um, even though I loved it and I appreciate every moment, there's so much more to life than um, yeah, just playing playing sport. Now, um, I'm interested in sort of what the next. Um, move was but moving away from footy for a second before we get um you know the pitchforks at the door because this is of course a property podcast but i was very interested to delve into to your story and some yeah fantastic insights into what life is like for a pro athlete but you've got a, a funny story about how you got uh really interested in property that sort of ties into the the um to the injuries you were you were sitting in a waiting room is that right yeah 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 it's a it's a it's a funny story and it that's why I, I believe in life like we all we always come up with sort of sliding door moments where um you know something that happened leads you to an opportunity and that opportunity leads to another opportunity so it's just funny and um yeah I think I was on my like I was in the waiting room might have been a shoulder or hip I know sometimes I lose count of all the injuries I had, but I was in one at one of the waiting rooms for a major surgery, so I was out for a while and um, my phone was like dead. So as you do, you're just sort of sitting there and I, I noticed, um, you know, the magazines they have in the in the hospital waiting room and, um, yeah, one of them was the API magazine, I think it was API, yeah, API, whatever it was called, the Australian Property Investor Mag, picked that up. First time ever really exposed to anything investment-wise with property and, um, yeah, just just really it, it sort of captured me in just in terms of what people were doing with property, um, what they were doing with their finances and stuff like that and, and yeah, just seeing like real-world people all from different backgrounds and careers, um, just being fearless in terms of um, trying to have a crack at um, you know, stabilizing their financial future, so to speak. So, yeah, that that really captured me, and I actually um, 
it's funny, I, I, I laugh about it now, but I've actually still got the magazine at home. I ended up taking it home and it's still got the sticker <laughs> on it and um, that it says do not take home. But I was that intrigued <laughs> by it and I didn't know where to – I've never seen this magazine before. And I was like, I'm taking it. And then, yeah, I started buying a few from the news agency and, um, yeah, had a little collection of magazines. And that, that that's literally just what tickled it. And then, obviously, then I, I – dive a bit deeper into like youtube and education uh, yeah i just loved self self education yeah so apologies to the gold coast medical imaging <laughs> clinic um matt's still got a copy of your api magazine uh perhaps a signed footy should be sort of um you know flick past to them at some yeah, point yeah no i always, always laugh about it. it's um yeah one of the q scan places in um in burley heads on the gold coast so i still know i will I will return it one day, I reckon. <laughs> now, um, I'm interested in how many of your sort of rugby league brethren were interested in the financial side of, of life outside of their contract values. Um, I, I've met a couple of, of union players, um, so rugby union as opposed to rugby league, and and been very surprised about how educated they are in general. Um, for example, yeah. Sterling Mortlock. I met and sort of got a little bit annoyed at him um, for having to sort of answer whether I was related to him over yeah. the last 15 years. Um, he was a lot bigger and tougher and cleverer than I was, which was disappointing, so I had to sort of slink away. Um, but I, th- it's a real thing, right? Union players, they're, you know, they're doctors, lawyers, accountants, um, t- typically people that are clever with, with money. And um, without giving you too much um slack um and of course being a tough rugby league player i'm quite happy to be quite a distance from you at the moment but the league boys they seem a little bit more buff-headed um we hear a lot more scandals they're getting drunk and and you know the stuff in the pubs and all that sort of stuff is that is that a fair comparison that the union boys seem to be a little bit more together than the rugby boys yeah i I guess it's um, yeah, mate. No, no offense taken at all. I, I, I actually agree with you um, to an extent on that because um, I have noticed that as well. From a from a macro level, obviously within any industry, there's there's a percentage who you know are super educated, and there's a percentage same as rugby sure. union that aren't doing the right thing. But as a macro, I'm sure there are buffheads yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But as a macro, yeah, I think you're you're spot on and. Um, I reflect on it. It, it, I really think, because, yeah, I noticed that as well. I I really did. I knew some guys from Rugby Union and they used to chat about, you know, stuff of like doing development and investing and shares and stuff like that. And um, it was very minimal in the the rugby league space. And I sort of think about it. I I look back and it it could be, it could be, I don't know for sure, but my my, um, identification of it could be that, you know, sort of, it's like that blue collar sort of. Um, you get a, it's, it's, well, first of all, it's a lot cheaper to play league than union as a kid. So, soccer, super expensive. You know, rugby's up there. And then um, footy's pretty, you know, probably one of the cheapest sports to play as a kid. Right. So, you get a lot of families, you know what I mean? They just put their, their kid in the rugby league. And um, I guess rugby union is played predominantly throughout all the private schools. In Australia, uh-huh. and rugby league is more with all the public schools, so maybe that could be a thing as well. And then, 
um, yeah, I don't know. And I guess at private schools, you, you're around, you know, a bit more of a higher demographic families usually. So the families yeah. obviously brush on on the kids and then the kids, you know what I mean? So maybe that's Old money. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's got something to do with that. But, yeah, you, you are right. Um, in league, you know, you do hear scandals and stuff. And, and even guys I played with, they're from literally nothing. Like I'm talking like missions out in like central Queensland where population of only a few thousand indigenous communities and then literally at 18 finished school and on six figures. Do you know what I mean? And it's like yeah. far out. Like it's such a such a big chat. They wouldn't know any different. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And in fairness, and in fairness, it's it's easy to sort of have a look at, at these people, um, and which I think are unfairly sort of thrown into into public life. Um, you know, some often, you know, that people journalists put a microphone under a rugby league player's mouth, and yeah. I just sort of cringe you know yeah. i think this is this is not going to go well i can just tell but you know you give you give me a salary like that at 18 19 i probably would have made an absolute pelican of myself as well yeah 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 exa- exactly right and um yeah it, i i have no remorse and like everyone's you know responsible for their actions 100 percent, i agree but i also have um empathy sometimes towards some guys that um you know you just got to what maybe what's in their family life and how are they? I know some guys who've had super tough upbringings and they haven't had the right education on how to deal with, um, you know, the pressures of life and stuff like that. So I think that's probably the biggest, bigger picture to look at is education um, in league and union. You know, helping athletes understand how to deal with the the pressures of the sport and what what comes with it. Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably the main thing that needs to be looked at. Yeah, and I think you're you're a great mentor now, and certainly will be in the future. As someone who's gone through that, has been uh, a little bit more naturally sensible with with money, or or at least sort of gone down that that rabbit hole. So you're um yeah definitely going to be of, of use to to the young guys who are going to trust one of their own, I suppose. So did you start investing as you were playing playing footy? Um, yeah, I I did, but it, it's funny looking back. I could have started like a lot earlier and I, I guess, you know, I hear it a lot on all different podcasts when listening to other investors. It's like, um, you know, what, what did you learn? What would you change? And a lot of people say, I wish I got into it earlier. So same, same with me, especially while I had access um, to a better borrowing capacity, you know what I mean? So I definitely yeah. didn't utilise that and that's something I'm really passionate about trying to sort of, as you said, help, help, um, athletes and, and people like that who are in sort of jobs that that have a small window of opportunity to make the most of it you know what I mean so I actually started investing at the very back end of my career pretty much when I was nearly retired so um which which was great as well do you know what I mean I, I don't take that for granted but now looking back knowing what I know now I could have done a lot better if I um if I started a little bit earlier and had some, mm. And again, it just comes down to talking to the right people, and um, you know, being influenced by by people. I had no influences or anything back then, or no one really talking about it. So, um, but yeah, that that's probably the, the to answer your question. Yeah, later on in my career, I started pretty much when I was finished. Yeah. 
I, I feel the same, and and everyone's a, a millionaire in hindsight. But you're still you're still a young man, and and post footy, you did a little bit of you dabbled sort of working in a real estate office, and and now um, setting up the uh, Srama Group, a, a buyer's agency. So what what's the real sort of main passion and, and motivation between uh, behind starting your your buyer's agency business? Yeah, I don't know. I just. When I was working as a real estate agent, um, as I said, I always had that little real estate bug. So it was, it was funny. Once footy finished, I actually got, while I was playing footy, I was juggling studies as well to become um, a real estate agent and learning more about property and stuff like that. So when I got into real estate sales, so not buying, actually selling it as a real estate agent, um, I just noticed like, yeah, it, just the process, like how... Not everyone, but a lot, a, like percentage-wise, a lot of Australians still struggle with the process of, of buying property, whether that's, um, you know, just due to time, due to lack of education, just genuine help and just like a fear of not like overpaying and overthinking the process, stuff like that, which is all, you know, I've been through buying property myself and it is it can be stressful at times. So that was probably the main thing that really got me from being a sales agent and wanting to start on the other side as a, as a buyer's agent was, um, yeah, just noticing that, you know, if you if you got a right, the right team around you and the right help and stuff like that, it, it goes a long way. It's sort of, I don't know, it's just sort of the person I would have liked to have when I was starting my my journey in a nutshell. It's, it's just that support and obviously coming from high-performance team environments, I know how important, yeah, just having a good solid team around you um, can get you to goals a lot quicker. Yeah, there's 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 some definite value you're bringing to that with that just extreme professional approach. I mean, it, and it obviously started with your parents with their with their crazy work ethic, and then you thrust into the professional sports where you know as much as we might kind of think us uninitiated that it's you know. Play the game, Mad Monday on the yeah. on the turps. Get yourself in the newspaper in trouble. You know, say sorry to the board of directors, yeah. and then you know, training day and game day back again. It's not it's not really like that. Um, and there's a lot of discipline and and a lot of science that goes into it. So I guess that's you're able to bring that to to property, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, like a lot of people um, who I've listened to on your your podcast and other property investor podcasts and stuff like that. I, I think anyone doing stuff like like investing or like professional sport, they've all got the right mindset and I think that's important um, to anything in life and even um, being an entrepreneur in in business, it's like you've got to have that mindset and um, be fearless in a way. I think what holds a lot of people back in terms of investing is the fear of either the unknown and and not knowing. So, um, yeah, it's it's like, like anything in life, I guess, it's just like I think the biggest fear is sometimes not not taking a risk risk at all. Like that's a big risk in itself, just not taking a risk at all. So um, I think calculated risk is very important and being just being fearless and backing yourself. I think that's why I love like athletes and I respect them a lot is because they back themselves and they back their judgment and they, they just um, they work hard. they got really good work ethic. And I see a lot of good investors who have come from – you know, whether it's military background or um, IT background where there's um, systems in place and, and discipline, I always notice the best investors have got that um, sort of 
sort of mindset, I guess. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. I'm, I'm guessing you can't sort of run onto the to the footy pitch being timid, right? It's it's game day, and you're out there to 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 kick some backsides. But yeah, the 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 paralysis or the the fear around making a decision, uh, I guess people forget to think about the cost of inaction, uh, and it does have a cost. Just just not taking that next step. Let's talk. Um, sorry, mate. Yeah, no, def- definitely. That that sums it up really well. The cost of um, inaction is is a bigger cost than opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk property. Um, we'll get there in the end. What um, what is there any particular sort of bread and butter style property investing or or methodologies you follow? Obviously, we're we're talking about some of the cliches of the houses versus units yeah. or patient growth versus instant equity, that sort of stuff. Has there been a philosophy that you've uh, sort of pitched your flag to? Yeah, I, I a few, I guess. Isn't it? As you just say that, I'm just sort of reflecting my head. Um, I think, obviously, buy and hold. I like buy and hold. I'm, I'm more of a. I like to consider myself just sort of passive and safe. I don't. I don't. Um, I see the benefits in you know developing and um, you know flipping and stuff like that. I know you can you can make some really good capital straight off the bat. And at the moment, like I, I just don't in my journey in my age I think I'll get into that at a later date but for now I think fundamentally it's important to have some really solid assets especially when you're you're starting out a portfolio I think the bread and butter sort of buy and holds and um, I heard this quote it's like ordinary houses for ordinary people is sort of a good little I guess a bait you know there's a lot of variables to that but um, in a nutshell just just nothing on the super high end and nothing on the super um, lower demographic either, just sort of um, ordinary houses for ordinary people and obviously the fundamentals on the back of that where it's, you know, um, employment and population growth, all the, all the stuff people have heard before. Um, I think yeah. That, yeah, there's there's no need to rewrite the script. A lot of people have done well in property and the evidence is out there. It's just um, sometimes we try to rewrite the script and, and have a crack at something super risky or something different. You know what I mean? But um, I, th- I think, I guess, if there's anyone sort of just starting out, yeah, just just sort of um, your bread and butter, sort of entry-level stuff and land. Obviously, land is where the asset goes up. So um, even though my first one was a unit, um, you know, I, I, looking back, I would have loved to have got a house, but my budget didn't let me back then. But everything there, there forward was always a house. So, yeah, I just like houses for, um, just for land content. It's it's an interesting insight you you give, and and one thing that is in in common with I guess a lot of the guests on here is that there's the the best advice is actually sort of quite boring. I mean, yeah. it, it it might be exciting to sort of pitch this podcast as Matt says, you know, that you should be looking for subdivisions or add value by adding another story or you know yeah. buying this property and and building a granny flat. But you're basically saying buy 
good property, uh, good quality assets, um, and don't expect to be rich overnight. But if you buy well at a property that it's always going to be in demand, i.e., you know, ordinary properties for ordinary people, there's always going to be people wanting to rent them. There's always going to be people wanting to buy them. Yeah, and then that's then that's enough, right? You don't have to come up with a crazy, uh, crazy approach to be successful yeah. in property. Yeah, definitely, and but. I think on the back of that, a lot of it's because it's a get rich. People are looking for that get rich quick. And like, I'll be the first to admit it's if you're looking to get rich quick, I don't think property investment is that. It's more of a get rich slow and, um, and learn as you go. And there's this opportunity to, to get rich quick with, you know, like we said, we can pay down debt and, and resource capital quickly. But as a fundamental, I think it's a get rich slow um, play for sure. And that's, that's, that's the big difference, I guess, between other asset classes and stuff like that. They're all, all different, but I love property just because it's a get rich slow, it's lower risk, you know, and if, if you're buying the right asset, that is. But, um, yeah, it's it can be a lower risk. And one of my favourite quotes is, um, you know, in real estate you make your money on the way in. So that's something I've always, always stuck by is um, you can actually make some money just by being a good negotiator and, and knowing how to get property from the way in you know you want to be making some money on the way in i think yeah and that's that's a really interesting insight because let's say that you know you do buy a good property that goes up over time you, you could feasibly negotiate or, or or get something 10 15 20 grand cheaper than it perhaps could be um, just by doing the right research or, or being a good negotiator and that might take you a year worth of capital growth to get just by being patient uh so that's really good and um yeah this this i'm i'm very tempted to to call this podcast how to get rich slow with matt sram and, yeah. and, and just and just resist these clickbait style stories yeah. and just be just give the truth you know yeah, <laughs> i yeah. love it and, it and it's just like um like in life like i think anything worth having takes time and hard work just like um you know if you want to be an athlete or um, you know, a CEO or whatever, whatever someone's goal is, I, I don't think anything worth having happens overnight. I think um, we've got to be with that mindset of you put in the work and you be consistent, you, you follow the process and keep adjusting your process in any form of life. I think um, that's that's the true true power um, that I've, I've – I'm not just saying – this from my point of view, it's from people I've listened to and, and stuff like that in, in self-development and all that. A lot of it's just the ones who are consistent and always wanting to grow more and not, not knowing everything, you know, their, their masters are wanting to learn and grow and keep refining themselves to become better and just, just staying consistent I think is a big one. I love it. Where are you at with your portfolio now and, and what are the sort of goals for you? Is there a, a an end game in mind for you or is it all just about the acquisition? What's what's going on? Yeah, I guess while I'm in my 20s, it's it's still in an um, acquisition phase. You know, I, I definitely want to um, continue to building. At the, at the moment, the portfolio sits around the two and a half sort of range and there's a, there's a fair bit of equity there but I'm, I'm at a point now where being a single guy and um, you know being in my 20s and you know I've, my job at the moment um, I have I've got a PAYG job um, at the moment that you know I love what I do but realistically the banks 
from a servicing point of view, um, yeah, I mean, there's 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 appetite um, to not not um, move forward with with an investor like myself. So I've got to look at. I'm in a position now where I've probably got one or two left, and then um, I'm going to have to look at different ways to keep keep building to get to my to my goal. So hence a big reason as well why I do want to become a business owner and why I'm starting. Um, my company as well is because I want to be able to, um, I guess, you know, leverage my equity and, and um, continue to build. So, and I, and I guess for me, the, the macro goal is just to really have choice in life. I'd, I'd love to get to a stage in my 30s where, um, you know, my mid-30s has always been a goal for me where, you know, I can decide if I want to pursue a passion project or pursue, um, you know, to do my buyer's, buyer's agency and grow that or, Maybe you know I want to do some coaching on the side, or maybe I want to travel somewhere. So it's it's just the the choice really. At the, at the end of the day, it's not not really a financial goal or anything like that. It's more I just want to be in a position where I know my portfolio is um, in terms of pure asset value, and then slightly pay down debt, and obviously manage that with good cash flow as well. So yeah, all the cogs are ticking, and yeah, it's just about um, yeah, continue to build, pay down pay down the debt and, and slowly move into that phase of just um, just f- really doing things that fuel my day each morning and waking up and just being like, I want to do this and I'm not I'm not going to jobs and doing things just for monetary value, if that makes sense. And wait, I think, that makes, I think yeah. a lot of people sort of wake up each day and they're, they're not sort of happy with what they're what they're doing, which I think um, yeah, I think I think money can solve those problems. Money is never the answer, but I think um, money definitely helps people to have more choice to do what it is they want to do, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I like that, and, and I like the idea of having a goal in, in mind, and I think traditionally we think of that as, you know, 10 properties or, you know, $5 million or a certain amount each week in cash flow positive, But and I guess that you are probably looking at, at the end one, you need the cash flow to be able to have the choice, but it's more about the freedom, right? Like that's that's why you want to grow the portfolio. It's it's not so you can you know look at um, an Excel spreadsheet with with fifteen properties on there and go look at me, I've yeah. I've really made it, mum and dad. It's more it's more about today. I've decided I'm passionate about this and I want the financial position to be such that I can chase it. Right? Yeah, hundred percent and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could um, sit back and, and live off my rent now and just just bum around, you know what I mean? But at the moment, I, I don't have enough um, cash flow to be able to, you know, I want to, as I said, I want to start a business. I want to be able to help and serve people there. Also, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, I'll have a family one day and I want to be able to take them on holiday and, um, you know, if I want to be able to have, freedom in my in my day to go see my kids play sport or something like that so it's more just just being able to have have choice and I, and yeah as i said i'm in my in my 20s still so it's more accumulation i know i'm not at the the point i need to be at yet but i'm also not not going to be someone who's just going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing it's sort of um i think once we can get to um you know a good solid portfolio value and the debts at a healthy level um, I think I'll be I'll be happy then. So um, yeah, at the moment, as I said, it sort of sort of sits around the two and a half in asset value. I think I'll move into more of a cash flow 
play now. I've got some solid assets that are doing their thing capital growth-wise and, and they're all sort of paying themselves. But I really want to um, move into a bit of a cash flow play now and really pump up my servicing, um, especially while when I get into, um, you know, having a new business now and, and juggling things like that. Mm, the banks aren't too keen on you in the new business in terms of lending and that um, sort of stuff. Definitely. <laughs> so I'll, I'll still have my um, PAYG on the side. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, the banks the banks are always – I guess it's always a game of finance, isn't it? It's how you, can, yep. how you can present a good case and that's always been in the back of my head as well and I guess that's a, that's a real big takeaway for anyone in the investing world, once I sort of wrapped my head around it's a game of finance, it's sort of like, okay, have a look at your portfolio and how is it going to assist your servicing or your, your raising capital and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's a game of finance, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a big part. And if you know if you, if the bank's not going to give you money, you can't buy the next one. Um, we 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 touched briefly on some of the parallels between training as a professional athlete and and building a, a portfolio. Um, for for any, I guess your average person can't sort of go and become a professional rugby league player. But what would you recommend for for some? Are there, are there things that you can do in life that kind of train you in a way that helps? gives you some skills for building a portfolio and what have you learned from being a professional athlete and then transferring that sort of skill set to property investing yeah good question mate good question i would i would say um i would say probably the biggest thing i I took away as i said from being an athlete to an investor is first of all discipline so i think and this isn't just athlete this could be any job discipline is a big one because I guess if you relate it to the property world, if you're not disciplined with your money, you know, if you're buying Uber Eats every day and you're buying a new watch and, you know, stuff that's going down and value like brand new cars and putting them on leases and um, I think that discipline there is going to obviously hold you back as a, as a property investor. So all the best property investors that I know um are always pretty disciplined they're always they know what they want and they work towards that and they say discipline so i guess like in anything in life um like we said before if it's you, 11 o'clock oh, sorry about that. if it's um <laughs> if you're if you're um disciplined like yeah it goes it goes a long way but in terms of i'll tell you what something that changed my life in terms of random jobs and stuff like that was working as a real estate sales agent and not for the property this is property aside it's more that sales aspect and and learning so this relates to any sort of job where you've got to either call people or um you know there's some sort of sale feel about it it's it's not so much about the sale it's about learning as a person to deal with rejection and Mm. deal with the process of um you know anyone i'm sure if there's anyone who's worked in sales is listening to this they'll understand like prospecting is the oxygen so you need to be able to talk to people so that improves your communication skills when talking to people you know some people are um you know if you look at like a disc profile some people are really upfront and um you know, loud and you've got to, you've got to sort of relate to them. And then you've got people who are super quiet and soft and introverted and then you've got to relate to them. And um, so it's like that, that people skills. And also 
the um, the discipline again, and also what I say the um, oh, the um, rejection, yeah, rejection, like not taking it personally and stuff like that. Like we, you got to be resilient. Resilience, the word that's that's the word that I was looking for. Resilient. So I think I think jobs where you become more resilient, you know, you deal with setbacks. Um, I think can make you a better property investor and. Yeah, just more successful in life, I think, just being being resilient, yeah. I like that. How to be res- resilient and get rich slow with Matt. <laughs> we've, we've, we've absolutely nailed it now. Now, um, Matt, if there are people that are wanting to get in a contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, just whatever. I, I use like social media. Um, Matt underscore Srama is um, on Instagram, Facebook, Matt Srama, and um, the buyer's agencies, the Srama group, um, dot com. So that's all under construction and looking forward to that part of my life. But, um, yeah, if it's just on, I'm always happy to chat on a personal level. I get a lot of um, guys and girls, you know, young and old, just sort of always reaching out on Facebook. I add a lot of content on there on, on what I've learned in in property and all my mistakes and I, I documented and and like to share all that so yeah if it's if it's just on a personal level just reach out I'm always happy for a chat because yeah when I sort of started my journey I had no one to sort of lean on which is probably my fault I didn't really reach out as much as I, I wish because I always felt like oh they won't have time to talk to me but um yeah I'm just just letting people know giving a bit of gratitude if there is questions and stuff just just reach out and I'll um I'll help you and lead you to the right people. Beautiful. Now, Matt, if there's one piece of advice that you could impart for prospective or or current property investors, what would that be? I would say education is is a key. That's that's a big one. Self education. Just learn, learn, learn. You'll never. Um, if you're the smartest one in the room. It's probably a warning sign. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> find a new room. Find a new, find a new room. So, never think you know it all or anything like that. Like, um, there's always so much more to learn. And and also, one of my favorite quotes is, "You either win or you learn." So, don't see failure as a failure. It's it's a learning. So, the main thing is you learn not to make that. I've made so many mistakes in in you know my investing journey and in my sports journey, my life, everything. But, again, it's that resilience to say, pick yourself back up and say, okay, what did I learn from that situation and how can I grow from that? So, um, yeah, you either win or you learn. I think it's the biggest thing. That's absolutely fantastic advice, Matt. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for sharing your your story and your wisdom. Um, it's It's been fantastic. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, you're doing really good things on the podcast, mate. Love it. Appreciate that. Checks in the mail as always, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Thanks, mate. (laughs) 